heard a story about a young preacher who just felt God's calling to move him and his wife and their kids to move from their suburban home and the church where he was working and to move to the inner city and to to start a, a ministry and a church, plant a church in the inner city. And so he talked with his wife, he talked with his kids, and, and they, you know, discussed it and made sure it was okay, you know, all on the same page, and they decided this is what they felt like God was calling them to do. And so he kind of had to sit down with his wife, and he said, I just, I need to ask you a favor. I need three years of just really long hours to get this thing going. I, I just, I need three years of really long hours to really get this ministry and, the, and, and this church plant off the ground. And she said, that's fine. She, she agreed. They were on the same page. They, you know, it felt like God was calling them. And so um, that's, you know, they agreed to that. And so after three years, the, the ministry, the church was really growing and, and it was doing well. It was thriving. But he had gotten into such a routine with his long hours that he didn't stop. And he really wasn't listening to her and, and, and paying attention to all that was going on. And so she didn't say anything for the first couple months after that, that first three years passed. But um, after a while, she just couldn't take any longer. And so she went to him and, and she said, honey, do you remember the promise that you made? You said three years. And he said, I know, I know. Just trying to, you know, trying to get this thing to where it's, it's, it's you know, I can just kind of be hands off and then we can get back to some semblance of reality as a family. And, and so she agreed and she said, you know, give you a, I'll give you some space here. I know, you know, this is where you feel like God's calling you to. And, and so this went on for another several months and finally another year passes. So at this point, it's been not just three years. It's been four years since he's been starting to work these, these just day and night, hours upon hours upon hours. And so finally, um, he's just not listening to her. And he comes home one day, and he walks in the door of their apartment in, in downtown, and, and he walks in, and he sees that the balcony door is open. The, the, out, you know, the balcony to their outside is open. And so he walks in, walks up, and he sees his wife outside sitting in a chair with their wedding china. And so he's kind of wondering what's going on, and, and he, you know, she looks up at him, and he looks at her. They don't really say anything. But she has a, it's perfect timing, he walks in, she's got a, a little small hammer in one hand and a saucer in the other. And she looks up at him and she pulls the hammer up and then pounds it down into the saucer, smashing it into a hundred pieces. She just kind of looks at him and he's just kind of taking this all in. She grabs another saucer, lifts the hammer up, bang, pounds it into another hundred pieces. At this point, he's kind of a little alarmed at what's going on, and so he's paying attention, and and so she grabs another saucer, and again, she goes to lift the hammer, and again, she lowers the hammer, boom, into a hundred pieces. At this point, he's kind of freaking out. He thinks that she's having just this emotional breakdown, right? And, And so she goes to lift, she grabs another saucer, she goes to lift it up, and finally says, stop, 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 I'm listening, and she says, good, because this is what you've been doing to our marriage for the last three years. And she went on to tell him and talk to him about these things. And she did it in a calm voice and, you know, but intense and, and to the point. And, and he, he said to her, so you're not having a meltdown? And she said, no, 
Those first three saucers, we lost the coffee cups two years ago, but I'm so glad you stopped me before I got to the matching sets. I tell you that story to let you know that not even preachers are immune to the struggles and the challenges that come with relationships in marriage or family or work or just relationships in general. And we're going to start a new series this morning. I just want you to know that I am right there with you. If you need proof, you can just ask my wife or my kids about how much we struggle. It's part of life. It's part of dealing with that, and I'm not immune to it either. We're starting a new series entitled, Can You Relate? We're going to be walking through Paul's words, the Apostle Paul's words in chapters 5 and 6 of the book of Ephesians, which you can go ahead and turn there with me if you want to. And we're going to be talking about just the struggles and the challenges that come, uh, that so often come in the areas of relationships in general, but namely, he's going to talk about marriage and and family, and, and the workplace. And, and so that question, can you relate, really has some layers of meaning to it. A, can you relate as in relate and being related and relationships. But, you know, can you relate as in, first of all, can you sympathize? Like, can you relate as in, do you, do you deal with these things? And my guess is that you do, because we all do. It's just part of life, whether it be the marriage relationship or our relationships with our kids at home, if you've got young kids, or a relationship with older kids, if your kids are grown and you're, you're a little bit older, uh, or our relationship with our parents, whether it be young kids, your relationship with your parents, or um, us older kids, our relationship with our parents, or whether it be even our relationships in the workplace. We, we all struggle. We all have challenges, and it's not easy, and there are struggles and challenges in, in, in so many arenas in our lives. And so can you relate to those struggles? But also, can you relate as in, how do we relate? You know, because it's not, the point is not just to say that we struggle, right? Yeah, we do. But how do we deal with it? What, what's the solution? What's the answer? How do we deal with these struggles and challenges in these relationships that we have, namely marriage and, and family and work, and so that's what we really want to dig into uh, in this series. And I hope that this series can help bring us just a, a rootedness uh, and even some practical direction going forward in these struggles, because that's we're trying to live these out, these relationships out, you know. And, and how do we live them out to the glory of God? How do we live out our marriages? How do we live out our family? How do we live out um, relationships in the workplace? How do we just live out life with each other? Uh, to the glory of God. And so let's go ahead and get started. Where do you begin, I guess, is the first question. Where do you begin when you talk about these struggles and these challenges that we face? And I guess the the first thing I would say, and and kind of to kick things off, and it's really the title of, of this morning's lesson, but the first thing I would say, and it's the first thing on your notes, is our struggles go beyond just what we see. Our struggles go beyond what we, we you know, just what we often see. We're going to be spending the next few weeks in the book of Ephesians in five and six, and we're going to be talking about these arenas, these relationships, uh, and, and hopefully gaining some wisdom and some strength when it comes to dealing with the struggles in these arenas. And we're going to walk through them. But what I want you to see before we get there is a couple of things. First of all, when when, when Paul wraps up after he wraps up his discussion on these relational arenas of of marriage and and family and work and relationships, he says this in, in Ephesians chapter six, verse ten, starting in verse ten. He says, "Finally, in other words." Connecting what I've just said about marriage, family, work, relationships. I'm, I'm connecting all that to what I'm about to say. And so he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then Paul goes on, if you know, to of course talk about that famous kind of imagery of, of the believer putting on the armor of God and, and, and all of those things that, that we are to put on. But, but the point is, what I want us to see is that Paul says, there's a relationship between what's going on in your family, what's going on in your marriage, what's going on at the workplace, what's going on in your relationships. There's a connection between what's going on in those areas and what's going on in the spiritual realm. Now, we struggle to see this sometimes because we only see what we see. That's, that's kind of how we work. And so we, we, we see each other, and we say that's the, that's the struggle, right? But Paul says there's a, there's a relationship to what's going on in your marriage and the struggles in your marriage, the struggles in your family, the struggles in your, in your job, in your workplace, the struggles in your relationship. There's a, there's a relationship between those struggles and what's going on in the spiritual realm that goes beyond what we so often can see. Your struggle is not with the people in front of your eyes. And they feel that way sometimes, but your struggle is not with your husband. Your struggle is not really with your, your wife. Your struggle is not really with your kids. Your struggle is not really with the, the person that you're dating or, you know, maybe a friend. Your, your, your struggle is not really with uh, the people in your workplace. Your struggle is not really with flesh and blood. Your struggle goes deeper than that. Your struggle is with the, the spiritual forces that are at work in those arenas. And if you and I don't, I'm not saying we have to understand all of that, but if you, if you and I don't recognize that, at least to some, on some level, then you are going to consistently be fighting a losing battle because there is more going on than just what you and I can often see. It makes me think about how years and years and years ago, you think about surgeries that were performed and, you know, Nowadays, the surgeries are so commonplace and, and it's, you know, things are, are very well taken care of. It's still a risk involved, but most of the time it, it's, you know, they do well. But you think about hundreds of years ago or even maybe even just a hundred years ago when surgeries per, were performed, most of the time it was very rare that you did a surgery because they were so dangerous. Because most often people would die, not necessarily from the surgery, but they would die from infection connected to the surgeries because so often what would happen is that a a doctor, a physician would move from one surgery to the next without really any regard for what's going on beneath the surface, right? For what's going on with the, the, the microscopic world of germs and sterilization. And so they would go from one surgery to the next and they wouldn't sterilize the equipment. They wouldn't sterilize the instruments. They wouldn't sterilize themselves. And so people would die, not from the surgery, not even from the condition that they're having the surgery for, but because of the infection as a result of not really being able to see what's going on at a microscopic level. And I tell you that to say that if you and I can't recognize what's going on beneath the surface, what's going on behind the scenes, to not consider the spiritual dynamics that are at work when we struggle in our marriages or in our workplace or in um, our families with parenting or, or kids with your parents or, or just in relationships in general, to not address it from a spiritual perspective is like trying to operate on a person without any awareness to what's going on on the microscopic level, to not pay any attention to the spiritual forces that are at work. It can only make matters worse in the end, and you just throw up your hands because you don't understand all that's going on behind the scenes. Here's the second thing I think it's important for us to understand, and that is that overcoming our struggles starts with you and me. It starts with you and, and me. You, you see, our struggles 
aren't, I mean, I mean yes, they're, they're, they are with each other in some ways. And yes, there are struggles in the spiritual forces. But really, the, the primary struggle that you and I are dealing with is what's going on, not just around us, but within us. Does that make sense? So, so it's not just what's going on around us, but, but what's going on within us and in our, each of our own individual lives. We talked about what Paul talks about after the section on marriage and family and work, but it's interesting also to look at what he talks about right before the, the section on marriage and family and work. In Ephesians 4, before Paul gets to this section on, on these relationship uh, arenas, he addresses the challenges of what we're dealing with. Like you as an individual, not just in your marriage or in your family or in your workplace, but what are you dealing with? Your own life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, stuff that applies to everybody, regardless of your marital status, regardless of your family situation, whether you got kids or no kids, regardless of what your workplace situation may be. And so this is what he says in in chapter four, starting verse 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So a couple of things. First of all, Paul is talking to believers, okay? So he's talking to people who have already made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And yet there's still works in progress, which aren't we all? I mean, that, that speaks to all of us. All, nobody's got it together. Nobody's got everything figured out. We're all works in progress. But the second thing that, that's also, I think, important for us to recognize is that he talks about these deceitful desires. Talks about them as having, and us as having these deceitful desires. You say, what are deceitful desires? I would just say that they are desires that are deceitful, right? Which is why you pay me the big bucks. I know that's pre- pretty insightful. But seriously, they are these desires. We have these desires in our lives and we think they're okay. We think they're good. We think they're right. But in the end, they're just deceiving us, which is really what makes it deceitful, right? We don't know that they're deceiving. We think they're good, but in the end, they're deceiving us. That's what makes them deceitful because the moment you realize that you're being deceived, it's no longer deceitful. But these deceitful desires, Paul says, they, they have something to do with the challenges and the, the, the struggles that you and I face when it comes to our marriages and our families and our workplace. Because we think we're living a certain way and it's only deceiving us. And in the end, things start to break down and we're wondering, why did we get to where we are? Well, because we've been living by these desires that have been deceiving us. Does that make sense? And, and so that's why Paul goes on to, to talk about how we, we need to be made new in the attitude of our mind, to be made new in how we think about ourselves and how we think about others that we're in relationship with, even in how we think about God and our relationship with him. It calls us to be made new in the attitude of our minds so that we can put off the old self and put on the new self, put on the, or take off the old way of thinking, put on a new way of thinking, or allow God to put on a new way of thinking so that we can be created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness so that we can think and live and relate to God and to others the way that God designed us to think and live and relate to him and to those around us. And then continuing, I'm not going to read all this. You can look at it in Ephesians chapter four through basically like 5, 18, 19, 20, that area. Basically from that section to the section he talks about marriage and the rest of you know family and, and work, Paul goes through this laundry list of of things and struggles that we're going to have to put off, that we're we're going to have to take off these things, put on the new self. If we're going to be made new in the attitude of our, we're going to have to take these things off 
and, and put some other things on, things that need to be removed from our lives. And he talks about matters like dishonesty and rage and anger and slander and bitterness and unwholesome talk and destructive words and hostility, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, not being able to forgive. And again, all of these things are t- things that he talks about to us before he ever gets to what he's going to talk about with marriage and family and work. And so he's giving us all of these things, instructions for how we as individuals are to live our lives with godliness and holiness and purity. Because you just think about it, that list I just read, how many of our struggles come from those things? Anger, destructive words, dishonesty, greed. How many of our struggles in relationships, be it the marriage or in the family or in the workplace, come from one of those things that Paul lists in that section between chapter 4 and chapter 5? The point is, before Paul ever gets to talking about marriage and family and work, he talks to them, he talks to us about our individual lives. What are we bringing to the table? What are you bringing into the marriage? What are you bringing into the family? What are you bringing into the workplace? You say, why is that important? Because so often the quality of our relationships, the quality of our relationships with each other is tied to what we're bringing in, the quality of our own lives, right? You think about that. The quality of your relationships with each other and my relationships with you or whoever are tied to the quality of our own individual lives and the lives of those that we're in relationships with. Parents struggle because parents are human beings and human beings struggle. Marriages struggle because there's two people in a marriage who are human beings. Some of you wives may think that's not the case, that your husband is an alien sometimes, but they are. We're human beings and we struggle. Children struggle because children are human beings and human beings struggle. Relationships in the workplace struggle because as human beings, we are struggling. Relationships are tough and struggle because people in general are human. We're not, we are People are human beings, and in general, relationships struggle because people in general struggle. Does that make sense? And so that's part of the the, the dynamic. And part of the problem that we see so often in our culture today is that everybody has an opinion on why things are the way they are. Right? Everybody's got an opinion on why things are the way they are. And also, everybody's got someone that they'd like to blame for why things are the way that they are. Right? Everybody's, everybody in here has an opinion on why things are the way they are in every arena of your life. Everybody has an opinion and everybody has someone that they think is at the root of the problem. And very rarely does anyone actually look in the mirror at themselves. It's always someone else's fault. It's always everybody else needs to do better. Everybody else needs to straighten up. Everybody else needs to get their act together. But very rarely do we look in the mirror and think about how we are contributing to what's going on. Very rarely do we take a step back and and, and think about how might I be contributing to the dysfunction that I'm experiencing in my relationships. You know, either by what we're bringing into the relationship, the dysfunction that you and I are bringing, or it may be how you're responding to the dysfunction that other people are bringing in. Does that make sense? So you may be bringing in the dysfunction, somebody else is bringing in the dysfunction, and then you're dysfunctioning it. Is that a word? Yeah, dysfunctionalizing it. I don't even know. By how you respond to their dysfunction. And they're doing the same thing. And the dysfunction is compounded. And I just said dysfunction more than I'll probably ever say it again in my entire life. But that's what we deal with. And, and, and until you and I take a step back and, and do that, what's gonna change? And I'm not even saying that your spouse 
or your kids or your parents or the people in your workplace or in your relationships, I'm not saying they don't have issues. I'm not even saying that their issues are smaller than your issue. They may have more, they may have bigger and more pressing issues in their life than you do. But if you and I can't take a look in the mirror and see how we're contributing to the situation and what we can do to help it, maybe even addressing our own dysfunctional way of how we're responding to their dysfunction and enabling that to continue, it's not going to get better. It's just going to continuously be dysfunctional and conflictual and struggling. And we're going to sit back and wonder, how did we get here without ever taking a look in the mirror and say, how did I contribute to how we got here? Not just how did they, but how did I? All of us have to realize that we, we play a part in this. You play a part in the problem and you play a part, and I do too, in the solution. And things aren't really going to improve if all you and I just say is everybody else just needs to behave better. It starts with you and me. And that's why Paul talks to us about the quality of our own individual lives before he starts speaking into our marriages and our families and the workplace. But there's also another dynamic at work. I think a lot of times when we're looking for a spouse or you're looking, you know, start a family or you're looking for a job, I think it's very easy sometimes for us when we're on the outside looking in at those things to, to see only the gift of those things. Does that make sense? To, to only see the blessing that is marriage, to only see the blessing that is a family and kids, to, to only see the blessing that is a job. And I'm not saying those things aren't blessings. They are. They absolutely are. But what happens is when we're on the outside looking in at those things, it's very easy for us to think that there's something magical about those things, right? If only I just could get this, get into this, get this job, have kids, have another kid, have this, you know, marry this person. And so we look at it as, as a gift. And then, and when we get into it, it's, it's good, right? Because it's new. And then it's not as new anymore. And you get into the marriage or the family or the job and you start to realize there's really nothing magical about it. It's not the solution to all my problems. I thought it was. I thought if I just got this job, if I just got married, if I just had kids, it would solve all my problems, and then it doesn't, because then you realize all the junk that you and your spouse and your kids and your employee or employers or coworkers, all your relationships, all the junk that you and them are bringing into the marriage, into the family, into the workplace, and then we don't tend to see it as much as a gift anymore. We start to see it as a burden we start to see it as confining. And that's when people want to get out, right? And we see that far too often. That thing you could not wait to get into, now you can't wait to get out of. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things are not simply found in a marriage or in a family or in the job. Those things are found in people, the people you're with in the marriage, in the family, in the job. Conversely, bitterness, rage, slander, anger, foul words, inability to forgive, greed, sexual immorality, those things aren't simply found in the marriage, the family, or the job either. They're found in the people that you're with in the marriage, the family, and the job including you. 
You see, a lot of people have a bad experience in a marriage, in a family, in a job. And what do you hear said? I'm never getting married again. Now, I'm going to back away from family. I had a bad experience. Or I'm not, I, you know, I'm going to back away from that job. But the reason you had a bad experience, or at least part of the reason why you had a bad experience with marriage or with family or, or with a job is because of the people that you were in relationship in those things with, including yourself. They were struggling and you were struggling. You know, sometimes we talk about it like, I got a, you know, you ever had a lemon of a car? You're like, I just got a lemon, you know, just got a bad marriage. Well, what did you do? To, no, nothing. I just got a bad marriage. Just didn't, you know. And we talk about it in terms of like something that happened to us instead of thinking about what we contributed to. And I'm not saying it's all your fault. Don't hear me say that. I'm not even saying it's the other person's fault, but that's the reality. Does that make sense? It's the reality of what we're bringing to the table, what we're bringing into the marriage, into the family, into the job. And to not recognize that and to think that these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, to think that these things just magically appear once you get married doesn't happen. They're found in, in, in people, not in those things, along with bitterness, rage, anger, slander, and so on. Again, the point is before Paul ever gets to talking about how do we deal with these relationship issues, he talks about how do you deal with you and me as individuals? What's going on in here? Because what's going on in here has a huge impact on what's going on out here. And if you, got, if you and I don't deal with what's going on in here, it's going to be a struggle. We're going to fight a, a losing battle. And, and so what's the solution? How do we relate? Well, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but we're going to stay here in Ephesians. And I think Paul gives us a pretty good clue. Uh, and it's kind of sandwiched right in between what he talks about with uh, dealing with our individual lives and dealing with, uh, then with those relationships in the marriage and in the family and in the workplace. And here's what he says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Very simple, and yet I think it's really important. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Which leads me to a final thing for us to understand. Or it's not my final point, but it is kind of the final point of these three. And that is this. Be continually filled with the, with the Spirit of God. And we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit more uh, the rest of this morning. But, but let me first say, you might think, okay, I thought that as a Christian, when I gave my life to Christ and, and, and was baptized, I thought that I got the Holy Spirit, that I was given the Holy Spirit. And, and if these are Ephesian Christians, I thought that doesn't that mean that they have the Holy Spirit, right? Yes, that's true. In fact, I, I would point you to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. What's the seal? The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So if that's true, if you already have the Holy Spirit, doesn't that mean you are filled with the Spirit? Well, I don't want to get into all the details of that, but I would just say not exactly. That phrase to be filled with the Spirit really speaks to an ongoing action of being continually filled up and under the influence of the Spirit of God. And so you can have the Holy Spirit without being totally filled with or under the control of the Holy Spirit. For instance, he tells them they have the Holy Spirit, right? He's already told they have that, but yet some of them are are filled up, they're drunk with wine. 
So they have the Holy Spirit, but some of them are filled up on, on something else. And I don't, I don't want to, this is not a sermon on, on not drinking. I, I want you to not just hear, don't be drunk on wine. I want you to understand that there's, the point is, what are you filled with? What are you being filled with? Because we, we can be filled up on a whole lot of other things other than being drunk on wine. We can be under the influence of, we can be drunk on a lot of different things. We can be drunk with ambition. We can be drunk with greed. We can be drunk with our own selfish agenda. We can be drunk with the comforts of this world. We can be drunk with money and stuff. We can be drunk with the title on our door or on our desk. We can be drunk with on just what we want to do. And we may have the Holy Spirit, but we're filled with, we're intoxicated with, we're drunk on other things. See, you can have the Holy Spirit and him not completely have you. And oftentimes our problems in marriage and in family and in the workplace come from us being filled with and under the influence of all the wrong things instead of being filled with and under the influence of the right things, namely the Spirit of God within you. And so often the conflicts that we face and we experience in those relationships is the fruit of our own selfish desires. Sometimes it's overt, sometimes it's a little more covert, but it comes out those selfish ambitions and desires that are filling our lives. And think about this, the moment, the moment that those selfish ambitions and desires in your life are threatened by the people around you because they're not behaving in the way that you want them to behave so that you can get what you want is the moment those relationships begin to break down. Think about the track record in your, your, your relationships and my relationships. So often it goes back to that in one way or another, either covertly or overtly. And oftentimes when it comes to struggles in our marriage, in our family, in the workplace, or just relationships in general, you hear something like this. Well, the real problem is a communication issue, right? That's really the problem. And, and I get it. Communication's difficult. I mean, it's hard. It's a struggle. But I would say that most of the time, it's not a communication breakdown that's the problem. I think a lot of times the issue is that we're filled, we all tend to be filled with and under the influence of all the wrong stuff instead of the right stuff. So I want to close this morning by sharing with you three ways that continually being filled with the Spirit can make a difference in how we relate to each other, be it our marriages, or our families, or in the workplace. And the first one is this. I would just say that God's Spirit or the Spirit, Spirit of God, will fill us in a way that nothing else can. The Spirit of God will fill you in a way that marriage can't, that family can't, kids can't, work can't. You know, so often we're looking for those things. We're looking for those things for, for, for fulfillment, for joy. And some of our conflicts, at least some of our conflicts in those areas is because we're looking to marriage, we're looking to children, we're looking to a job, we're looking to a number of things to do for us and to fill our souls, a place in our souls that only God can fill. There is no man, there is no woman, there is no child, There is no friend or relationship or job that can do for you at a place in your soul that only God can do for you. And and to expect that out of your, you want to talk about that. That's what, we're just speaking on marriages solely. If you want to talk about one of the things that will ruin a marriage faster than anything else is unrealistic expectations for your spouse to do what only God can do for you for your kids to do for you what only God can do for you. If you're seeking your spouse to fulfill you in a way on a on a, a deep level and to fulfill the, the desires of your heart, it's not gonna happen. Your kids 
Why do you think parents live vicariously through their kids? Because they're seeking for their kids to do something at a, at a spiritual level that only God can do. And to yoke them with a job description that only God can do is unfair. It's completely unrealistic. And, and I don't even think we do it consciously. I think we do it oftentimes subconsciously. But what being filled with the Spirit of God does is it enables us to let other people be human, to make mistakes, to get things wrong, to, to, to have a bad day, to, to not always have to treat us in a way that is perfect or, or you know, so that we're not completely wrecked by it. Because my, my commitment or my contentment, my sense of meaning, my identity is not dependent on you loving me perfectly. It's dependent on God loving me perfectly through Jesus Christ and through the filling of his spirit. Does that make sense? Secondly, being continually filled with the spirit will help to ground us in peace and security. It'll help to ground us in peace and security. A lot of times our struggles in our relationships have to do with us being so easily offended. We live in such a PC world now and, 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 and we are so easily offended and, and, and we aren't as concerned about other people either and their, their feelings. And, and, and it's just a very toxic situation, right? And I'll tell you straight up, I, I get easily offended sometimes and that's, that's not right of me. But we all know people who, who just get offended at the littlest things. I think about um, Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 12, that talks about a, a prudent man um, overlooks an insult. And we need to do that more often. You could go through, you could be offended every single moment of every single day because you are surrounded by human beings. You are a human being. Maybe you offend yourself sometimes. I mean, we, we can be offended at every little thing. And here's the deal. When we get offended, it's because we get off-ended. We get kind of thrown out of balance. And so often when we're easily off ended, it's because we're not grounded. We're not secure. We're not content. And so we get easily rocked by the responses of others. That's why at the end of Ephesians 6, Paul would say to to make sure you you have feet fitted with the gospel of peace, readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. When you have a peace and a contentment, when your feet are fitted with the gospel of peace through the filling of the Spirit, it enables you to be grounded so that every little thing that happens to you isn't the end of the world because you are grounded in peace and security, which leads me to a third thing, and that is this. The Spirit's filling in us leads to the Spirit flowing out of us. The Spirit's filling in us leads to the Spirit flowing out of us. Look, the reality is that there's going to be times when you're offended. Like it's just the reality of life. Someone says something to you or does something to you that's hurtful, and, and, and sometimes rightfully so. I mean, sometimes, you know, we need to, we need to be a little bit more thick-skinned than we are, but sometimes it, 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 it hurts, and, and you're not human if you're not offended, it, it, rightfully so. But here's the deal. When you and I get offended and we get off-ended and we tip over, what comes pouring out, flowing out, is what's been filling you up. Does that make sense? What you're full of is what comes flowing out. And I want the Spirit's filling in me so that when I get offended, what comes flowing out of me is the Spirit. That what comes flowing out of me is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. But again, let me point out, that's not the fruit of you and me. It's the fruit of the Spirit. 
That, that fruit comes from the root of the Spirit being implanted and filling our lives. And so when you and I, you know, if I were to ask, do you, do you want to be more loving? Don't, don't you want to be more loving in your relationships? Don't you want to be more patient? Don't you want to be more kind? Don't you want to be more gentle? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you would love to be more gentle and patient with your children, with your spouse? How many of you just need more self-control? When we're saying those things, what we're really saying is, I want to be more filled with God's Spirit. Because while those things are found in people, they're found in people who are filled with the Spirit. They're found in people who are being filled up with the Spirit so that when I'm filled up with the Spirit and I get tipped over, what comes flowing out is the Spirit in me. But it starts with you and me. It doesn't start with my, my, my spouse. It doesn't start with my kids. It doesn't start, start with people in the workplace. It doesn't start with somebody else. It starts with you and me. And I don't want, I, I want to be filled with the Spirit so that when I am offended and it comes flowing out, those things flow out into my marriage and into my family and into the workplace and into all of my relationships and every part of my life.